0: Okay, so here we are. And we got uh, Jim Brown in the studio. Jim. Um, so, uh, it just occurred to me uh, that you're named after that character in that song. Oh no, that's Leroy Brown.
1: Named after a lot of people.
0: So there's a, several people.
1: Lots of Jim Browns, lots of James Browns, wherever you are. Um,
0: so where did you grow up, and how did you get into the bikes?
1: I grew up up in Redding in Shasta County, and I rode my bike everywhere. It was a pretty uh, small town, pretty safe place to be. So I got to explore a lot on my bicycle, and I've always used my bike uh, just for exploring. I've I've um, had a bike. Ever since I was a kid, rode to, rode to high school every day. Um, didn't have one in college. Got one out of college, and uh, just been riding every day, every day since then. Um, got into bike advocacy about four or five years ago. Um, starting to work for the California Bicycle Coalition as the communications director.
0: And that was what I meant to say first. Is that you're <laughs> the communications director of the California Bicycle Coalition? And so how's that? What kind of stuff do you do?
1: I am uh, responsible for uh, sharing information with the world about uh, bicycle advocacy in California. Uh, We talk about uh, CBC's uh, legislative campaigns and advocacy campaigns. I also share information about what's going on uh, throughout the state, uh, particularly projects that can be replicated elsewhere, so a lot of... um, Innovative stuff happening all over California, and we're trying to uh, spread the word about that.
0: Because California is an influential state?
1: It's very influential. It has a huge share of the national uh, bicycle uh, retail market as well as the um, wholesale and manufacturing markets. Um, We have a huge population. We have a lot of influence in Congress. Uh, So there's a a lot of reasons why uh, why bicycling in in, uh, in California is really significant nationally.
0: Okay, so you you do a lot of um, you do a lot of legislative stuff. And what was this with the other category? Legislative and
1: well, advocacy in the sense of doing uh, educational programs, public awareness, uh, those sorts of things. Uh, we are involved with uh, helping uh, promote. Bike to work activities. We have some bike safety education we're working on. Um, we're working with Caltrans on a number, a number of projects, including standards for bikeways, that sort of thing.
0: Okay. And so, where do you fit into the whole? Uh, uh, you know, you're in Sacramento, right? That's right. Well, so how does uh, how do you interact with? Uh, you're a what do you call yourselves? An NGO, nonprofit? What is it?
1: We're a nonprofit advocacy organization. We have a um, we have a five hundred one c three educational arm, so we, we kind of operate under the five hundred one c three umbrella. We have a board of directors. It's a pretty conventional nonprofit in mm-hmm. terms of its structure.
0: I've I've only I only ever hear about the LACBC, mm-hmm. and I and I don't really think much. I didn't really think much about the California uh, Bicycle Coalition. But um, do you communicate a lot with? The LACBC is that sort of? Is there a chain there?
1: We do. We're not. We're not an umbrella organization over mm-hmm. local advocacy organizations, and they're not chapters of us. But we're definitely partners in a lot of initiatives. So, for example, the uh, California Bike Summit this weekend in downtown LA is being hosted by LACBC, um, and they've been very involved with helping plan the program and with a lot of the logistics for the summit. So uh, we look at them as a. Very valued uh, ally in what we're doing.
0: So tell me about the summit.
1: The summit uh, begins uh, this afternoon and continues through Monday afternoon. We've got about 140 people registered to um, to take part in three days of discussion about um, issues of importance to bicycling in California. Uh, we'll be. We also have some national figures who will be uh, part of the discussion. Uh, Randy Neufeld from SRAM, Jeff Miller from the Alliance for Biking and Walking, Jim Sayer from the uh, Adventure Cycling Association of Montana. Um, they're out here to take part in this as well. Brought together uh, representatives from local bicycle coalitions throughout the state, cycling clubs. Uh, we have public employees involved with uh, bicycle pedestrian issues, and we also have uh, private sector allies. We also have nonprofit uh, allies as well. So, folks from the Walk community, folks from the um, uh, Climate Plan up in Sacramento. The the what? Climate Plan. It's a it's a it's a project of Transform, which is a nonprofit in uh, the Bay Area, focusing on uh, transportation access issues.
0: Okay. So, and then how does this work? When people. Go there. It's, it's different talks in different rooms, and or is it one at a time? Can you have choices?
1: It's uh, today. We're going to be uh, uh, opening the opening the summit, and then breaking into regional meetings so that folks from from the same region can meet each other and share ideas and kind of begin uh, talking about issues uh, of interest, uh, common issues in, of interest. Tomorrow we'll be talking about advocacy issues throughout the state. And we'll be going through a process of of collectively um, identifying and prioritizing uh, significant issues uh, that we can kind of agree on as an agenda for uh, an advocacy agenda for the coming year. Um, and some of this will have um, significance in Sacramento. There'll there'll be a, a role for a statewide organization like ours to um, represent these issues in Sacramento. Um, Some of these issues will remain uh, local and regional issues. So uh, this is an opportunity to kind of bring together um, a a diverse group of people who are interested in um, solving some of of California's uh, transportation access problems. And then on Monday, we'll shift gears a little bit and um, share best practices. So there will be a series of, of breakouts and workshops. Presented by uh, local figures involved with such issues as bike sharing, working with grassroots movements, working with the media, um, bike safety education, those sorts of things.
0: Okay, so um, how did you identify? Is it it very easy for you to identify which uh, topics there should be? Like you said, you know. Bike sharing, working with grassroots organizations—is there just a list that that you guys always use of the different areas that you're that you're working in, or did you come up with that for this event?
1: We we worked with local bicycle advocates around the state for the last um, you know six months or so to identify, ask them to to tell us what are their issues of concern and their needs, and. Um, We pulled those together and started to look for common issues that were surfacing over and over. So this agenda reflects information we've received from the grassroots level. Um, And tomorrow's process will – we have a couple of issues we know we want to cover. Uh, For example, implementation of the Complete Streets Law in California is is a policy issue we want to discuss. But there are going to be some other issues that arise in the discussion tomorrow. That will be uh, prioritized. Um, we have a kind of a ranking and voting system that everybody will take part in to kind of figure out which issues they want to keep talking about.
0: Okay, and uh, so who has been really the most uh, involved in this in terms of active uh, advocates?
1: In terms of putting together the summit?
0: I know there's the LACBC.
1: LACBC has been involved, of course. Um, the uh, California Bicycle Coalition and its board um, board members include uh, a number of local bicycle advocates. Uh, we've been uh, we've been having you know one-on-one conversations around the state with local advocates. Uh, folks in Long Beach have been very helpful. Uh, we've been talking. You know, we've even been talking to folks uh, in Sacramento, at Caltrans, and those places. Not so much because we see them involved in the summit this weekend, but because we want to know uh, we want to know what issues they're concerned about. Obviously, we work quite a bit in Sacramento on a daily basis and have a pretty good sense of of some of the um, the more important uh, challenges we're facing in trying to get more people on bicycles in California.
0: All right, how about a song? want to take a little break? Here we go.
2: Hey, Bicycle Man is what I am, been proud to be, who watch my style, well for second, till he die, who hey. wait a one-off in yard, 21 for sleep, one We in the air, we don't care. we really, really. Hey. took a turn on the avenue, saw this girl that long time I knew, hey girl, how is your day, hey, hey, she looked at me and listened is what you say, she said, she don't want no bicycle man, oh she is looking for a car, man, I want to drive to a minivan, I looked at her, Smile a while, eh? She really likes a little like her style. 'Cause my command is what I am. In charge of me, watch my style. Well, we're stuck in daily, daily. Whoever want a penny or twenty-one past me, one billion, eh? We don't care, we really, really. But next day, she's me in a motor car, Flight me down, ask me if I'm going far, I looked at her, do you remember yesterday, she looked at me, and this is what she had to say, said she don't want no bicycle man, but well, she is looking for a car, man, I wasn't like a minivan, I looked at her, and smiled a while, hey, she realized didn't like her style, because bicycle man, that's what I am, in proud to be, who awesome well, works from style, like when we're a to doll, hey, who had a one-up in 21 fun, we know the air, we don't play, we really, we, 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 we. Riding, riding Big Chris nah, Lala, my...
0: Jim Brown of the California Bicycle Coalition, and we're talking about cycle tracks.
1: Yeah, we were talking about cycle tracks.
0: Uh, tell us about cycle tracks, what they are and what they mean to us.
1: Cycle tracks are a, a type of bicycling facility. Facility is sort of the jargon word for um, anything you put on the roadway in terms of uh, like a bike lane is considered a facility.
0: Can you take this? Yeah.
1: Okay, uh, so we we're talking about cycle tracks, um, and we we're talking about facilities. Facilities is the jargon word for um, for uh, a bike lane or a uh, a bike route, um, and it simply means uh, what's put in on the roadway to uh, to allow um, safe safe travel for bicyclists. And what uh, a cycle track is is a separated bike lane. Um, you know the bike lanes most of us are familiar with are just a um a stripe on the street that designates where the bike can ride and a and a cycle track is typically either uh is a bike lane with more separation so for example, there's a cycle track that runs along the south side of MacArthur Park in los angeles um It's a couple blocks long and it's separated by a painted median that's probably three to four feet wide and then um in other in other places cycle From tracks the south yeah yeah. And then a couple other uh, types of cycle tracks include grade-separated cycle tracks. Sometimes the cycle track is put up a level um, on a paved lane um, adjacent to the roadway. Um, Or uh, it also may include a a median, a built-up median. Um, um, And it may have a physical feature to it. That's one way to describe it. So in Long Beach, for example, there are cycle tracks. I believe it's on First Street in Long Beach. And... And those are separated by big planters and um, parking curbs and that kind of thing. So so they have a couple of different forms, but the idea is to provide a greater sense of, of physical separation from motor vehicle traffic, which can help um, more people feel safe when they're riding, uh, riding on the road. So it's it's one of the kind of facilities that uh, is starting to appear in uh, urban areas in the United States, um, New York City is working on cycle tracks. Um, San Francisco, Long Beach, L.A., um, other places, they're fairly common in Northern Europe. And, um,
0: well, New York City has them,
1: right? Yeah, they've got some.
0: And so... Uh, oh, so wait, I'm sorry. Is the cycle track... Only one mic's working. Is the cycle track... Um- any of those things that you described it, it, it's not it can be it's
1: kind of a generic term it can either be a physically separated bikeway using um, using special striping or it can be uh, or it can be uh, m- more uh, physically separated through the use of curbs or planters or um, medians that kind of thing
0: okay and so how does cycle tracks um, come up in this conversation here
1: well it's um, uh, we 're talking about the kinds of facilities that that uh, that will help more people in California feel safe on the road, and um, there is a national conversation right now um, about uh, implementing more innovative bike facilities, including things like cycle tracks bike bo- bike boxes are another example, which are Bike boxes are special sort of designated zones for bicyclists that they at, a, um, at an intersection right. where there's a turn. In front of where the cars in wait. In front of where the cars are. So mm-hmm. uh, you put the bikes out in front. They're the first ones to go through the mm-hmm. intersection. So you, don't, you, you cut down some on the um, conflicts that can happen when, when cars are trying to pass uh, slower-moving bikes.
0: It's, it's amazing all the things that we have today that we don't realize are the result of years and decades of activism. You know and and we 're in the process of of being active for these things now
1: yeah it 's a very interesting time i mean there 's just so much on the table there 's so much interest in what we can do to make some of this happen um, in the United States. You know a lot of this has been developed in Europe, um, part of the reason that the Dutch have such a terrific bikeway system was the um, the devastation of World War Two, and um, they needed to move people around, and roads were destroyed, and and the country was uh, was impoverished for quite a period, and so this was the way that that they got around. Well, they've you know as a result of that, they've developed a terrific um, set of um, examples of how you can do it, and so. There's a lot of interest now in bringing some of those best practices to the United States, recognizing that, that the U.S. is different than places like, uh, Denmark and, and the Netherlands, um, you know, culturally and just geographically, um, governmentally it's different. Mm-hmm. And so we're trying to look at, um, ways to, uh, to take what, what works really well in other countries and see if we can adapt it to, uh, the way that we travel in the United States.
0: Well, you know, if things get much worse in the United States, it might be sort of the equivalent of what happened to uh, the Netherlands yeah. in terms of needing to find alternative transportation.
1: Well, let's hope things don't get. that don't bad not know why. For people, uh, yeah, but, I uh, don't know why I'm taking it there. But uh, no, I no, I hear the I, I hear what you're saying, and it's. Um, um,
0: this is our co DJ chicken leather. Hi,
1: hi. hi I, uh, just continue. Continue. <laughs> So uh, the reason that we're talking about things like innovative facilities and cycle tracks is that, um, and and where that affects what we do at the California Bicycle Coalition is that um, California communities operate uh, under certain standards for the design and implementation of bike facilities, and the current standards um, don't include standards for things like. Uh, things like uh, cycle tracks uh, bike boxes other kinds of innovative facilities and we're working to uh, to implement uh, better standards to free up communities to do to do more in the way of uh, accommodating bicyclists
0: and the standards are by caltrans
1: yeah it's a it's it's kind of a, a quirky thing because of course Caltrans is responsible for state highways they uh, there are two there are two sets of standards that they're responsible for. One is the uh, Manual of Uniform Traffic Control Devices. This is really wonky policy stuff, but okay. it's a um, where, if not here, <laughs> that manual uh, lays out the standards for things like uh, signals, signage, and pavement markings. And and up till now, bike facilities that are on the roadway are typically um, uh, painted onto the pavement, and marked with signage. So it fell, It falls within that set of standards. And it's standards. called what again, this set? The Manual of Uniform Traffic Control Devices. And what's the other set? The other set is the Highway Design Manual, and the Highway Design Manual is Caltrans' Bible for building highways. However, uh, Chapter 1000 of the uh, Highway Design Manual lays out faci- uh, standards for bikeway facilities, so bike facilities. Mm-hmm. And the way the law is written California communities have to adhere to the standards in the in the highway design manual when they implement uh, Bike facilities, Mm -hmm. so it's this quirk of the way things have been built that communities are having to rely on standards developed by the state highway department Mm -hmm. um, in in order to uh, to implement uh, bike lanes in in community neighborhoods
0: I okay so Wow. So this needs to be somehow uh, streamlined?
1: We have to, you know, we have to find a way to um, allow for uh, the introduction of new kinds of facilities. I mean, mm-hmm. we're constantly uh, developing better ways of doing things, and we're looking at um, how we can uh, include uh, those innovations in the, um, in the uh, standards that are currently being used. And so we're just at this moment of change where uh, we're having to figure out, uh, for example, a, a, a cycle track that's separated with a, a, a median, you know, a built-up median is no longer simply a traffic control device because it's not just paint on the pavement and a sign. It now has a, a constructed feature, but there isn't really a process within the current system to deal with Uh, There aren't standards for those sorts of things, and there isn't a process to experiment with those sorts of things. So uh, there's a discussion within Caltrans that we're involved with to get them to begin to look more closely at innovative facilities and come up with a process for accommodating them. These things are being built, and communities want to do them, and they want to have some reasonable legal protection to go ahead and, and offer these in their communities. And uh, there are some communities that are willing to take um, to to be bolder in terms of what they what they implement. And like San Francisco. San Francisco is a good example. Um, they're uh, they're willing to get out in front of some change, and um, they're willing to accept that um, that there may be legal challenges to some of what they decide to do. Uh, they went through this um, three year injunction against their bicycle master plan. Um, and uh, repeated, you know, repeated uh, court hearings and so forth to to get uh, approval to implement that plan. So they're accustomed to this sorts of sort of thing, but other communities uh, may not want to or may not be able to afford to go through that kind of process. And so, uh, what we're trying to do is to provide communities with the standards they need to. Um, to be able to do what they want to do in their communities, so we're we're just looking at this whole system of standards and relationships between uh, between Caltrans, for example, and uh, city government.
0: Um, okay, so Little just wrote down a, like a, and I don't I don't really remember what it's referring to. So why don't you ask it, chicken
3: no, uh, You you just said that they went through a long uh, legal battle. Why why would they fight it? You think they'd all be on the same side to improve uh, transportation?
1: The uh, the the issue in San Francisco was that they um, they adopted their um, bicycle master plan without completing an environmental impact report, ah. and so there was a uh, actually it was a husband and wife attorneys uh, who sued the city and uh, claiming to be doing this on behalf of of residents concerned about. Uh, Traffic and uh, traffic flows, and their their official concern was that they were concerned that implementing some of the features of the bicycle master plan would negatively impact traffic, and therefore that would trigger the requirement to prepare an environmental impact report so the city essentially couldn 't do anything on its on its bicycle master plan until it completed the eIR It was about a three year process that injunction was lift, lifted last year, and san francisco 's been um, been uh really moving ahead very quickly to implement this big backlog of facilities that they had planned to uh plan to get going so um and I think the point of bringing that up is simply that there is there is a um a potential for those kinds of legal challenges to slow things down what we 're interested in doing is making sure that there's a reasonable set of standards that give communities uh, all the options they might want to uh, want to explore for purposes of 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 uh, getting more people on bikes I, uh,
3: I, I sense that uh, as we hear about all these different organizations involved in stuff that uh, this might be and, and just bear with me that uh, this might be some of the uh, copying and sort of uh, similar kind of roads that everybody goes through in in each one of these departments, is there any attempt to streamline this? I I know the governor has talked about, like, how some departments just mimic other departments to do the same job.
1: You know, I think uh, where we're seeing what you're talking about is in this whole uh, question of standards. So, for example, other communities and other states have figured out um, how to do some of this stuff, and... What we're trying to do is um, is to provide California communities with as as, as uh, the best set of resources they can work with in terms of standards. You know, funding is another big issue. Having having a better dedicated funding stream to c- support some of this stuff is really important. Um, but with with uh, improved standards, communities will be freed to try some of this stuff out. You know, in a lot of places. Um, concern about liability, uh, might inhibit a community from deciding to try something like a bike box. Um, or if they want to do it, there's an experimentation process they can apply for through Caltrans. It's a very slow process. And, um, you know, if you want to, if you want to get people out there and try to get them on the road and, um, get them on their bikes, um, waiting a a year or two to get approval to experiment with something, uh, doesn't always feel reasonable. So, so having better standards that incorporate more of what people want to try to do um, is uh, is really important. One of the you know one of the models we look at is the um, Urban Bikeway Design um, Guide yes. published by the National Association of City Transportation Officials, uh, called NACTO. A lot of people are talking about the NACTO guide right now, and it's. NACTO Guide is interesting because it's essentially a collection of best practices. So it's not inventing new standards; it's simply pointing to where these kinds of facilities are currently being used in the United States.
0: So I got one. If, Go so if if a um, if a city comes up with something, like if San Francisco comes up with something and then does it and does the environmental review, does that mean that another municipality won't have to?
1: Environmental review is, a, is, a, is, uh, is triggered by local conditions. You know, if, 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 the, uh, if the impact of a, of a development or a project is going to uh, pass a certain threshold of impact on things like uh, air quality, water quality, traffic flow, a number of things, then it triggers the requirement for an environmental Review an environmental review may or may not be necessary for implementing certain transportation facilities. Um, I think the real, the real question is um, whether um, experimentation in one city kind of clears the way for another city to do something similar. And, um, you know, I think the way that works is that you get enough of these experiments out there and you begin to demonstrate that it is possible to to uh, successfully implement bike boxes under certain conditions. Um, the end result of that is that you can actually, you know, think about adding that to the standard, right? Because you've tested it a, a bunch of times, and uh, you've you've determined that it's workable within these parameters. And so, you know, that's ideally where this all leads: is experimentation leads to the implementation of standards that everybody can use.
0: So when you say standards, like a standards, set of standards could include something like a bike box. Absolutely. Like that could be a standard.
1: Yeah, and it would say, you know, bike boxes need to be no bigger than this, no smaller than that. Um, uh, typically, bike boxes are painted facilities, so they typically are painted green. So there's a discussion right now of, um, you know, can it be any green, what kind of green, solid green, striped green? You know, and some of that um, sounds picky, but it's... Um, you know, we travel throughout the state, it's and it would
0: it's based on research.
1: It's you know, some of it's based on research. Um, things like um, how visible is it? Mm-hmm. You know, sp- the color of traffic signage is the result of a lot of testing to see what is the most visible color under certain circumstances. So, you know, that's kind of the, the garden variety process that any standard's going to go through. Um, but uh, you know, currently we have standards that say bike lanes can be. Um, no narrower than this and the stripe has to be this size um, and, and the reason for that is that and, and, you, and LA is a really great example of that because you've got all these municipalities within LA County if every city had a different standard and you were riding you know, five miles in any direction you'd pass through two or three municipalities and might be subject to completely different standards that's why a stop sign in LA looks like a stop sign in Modoc County um, you need, you know you need to have some consistency there for the benefit of people who are using the road so that's that 's why standards really matter. Is if we can do this once, come up with a, um, a solid set of um, parameters for people to work in, yeah. uh, then they can be freed to go ahead and do this stuff
0: makes it easier to to get it uh, to get a bike box if there 's standards yeah. for a bike box
1: that 's right you know it used to be that uh, um, you know, there was probably back in the day at some point crosswalks were considered kind of experimental and we didn't know what a crosswalk how it was going to work and whether people are going to recognize it well you know now nobody nobody uh, thinks twice about it and they're used everywhere and there's a standard that seems to work for everybody and so that's the benefit of having some standards that apply statewide
0: and you don't have lawyer couples uh <laughs> fighting <laughs> it the crosswalk
1: ideally you don't yeah who
0: are you know, these people you do we, we have their, their names
1: uh, no, you know. no, no, don't. No, no. <laughs> 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 uh, what are the, what are their names? We Come on,
3: I actually don't, know their, I don't, uh, their don't know their names. Their addresses. No, uh, that's uh, okay. Uh, now, now, see, you're you're j- you're joking about this, but uh, I'm sure that they felt just as strongly as we feel about this too. Oh, yeah. yeah, So it's it's not like they're they're uh, they're lost in some sort of null. I mean, they they probably want some same things we do. Well, I mean,
1: that's a really good point. I mean, we have an extremely diverse state in yes. terms of how people use our transportation system, what their needs are, um, and, you know, ideally the goal of all of this is to balance things appropriately so that um, everybody can get where they need to get um, safely and conveniently, whether that is by um, bicycle, on foot, um, by transit, or in a, in a car. Um, you know, we're just looking for a system that accommodates everybody to the to the best of its abilities. You know, recognizing that there are going to be limitations for everybody.
4: Um, yeah.
3: the, the the argument always is um, um, you you can't have certain bike programs because they inhibit uh, certain uh, uh, car or other transportation uh, transportation programs. Um, And it seems that everybody's looking for this uh, sort of middle ground where everything can actually work together. And my argument is that some of these bicycle programs, they don't uh, really comprehend that it's only a few percentages of getting some of these cars off the road that will eliminate gridlock. And they always look at, like, oh, you're digging into – Car infrastructure you're going to cause all these traffic jams, but if you eliminate that one or two percent, you even if you do have some sort of gridlock or you slow traffic down, you've eliminated so many cars because now people are into other transportation it's not necessarily just the bike, it might be a uh, bus or rail or, or something else. I'm wondering if, if you could address that and, there, and and the questions with that um, bikes versus cars or car people. Well, uh, mo- moving people as opposed to just moving um, uh, vehicles, or in this case, just moving something else.
1: We're hearing that um, framing of the discussion a lot more, talking about um, uh, moving people um, and and transportation as opposed to traffic, you know, as opposed to car traffic, um, because uh, – uh, a diversity of people use the roadways in a diverse uh, number of ways and so the idea is to try to create a roadway system that accommodates those uses as best as possible now obviously you have specialized facilities like freeways probably not a good idea to have pedestrians on freeways just given speed freeways can be a very efficient way of moving people around um, but they may not that may preclude other modes of transportation so they're going to always be exceptions to how we look at this, but, um, you know, what you're pointing to is kind of the heart of the Complete Streets movement in the United States, which is an effort to look at the design and operation of roadway systems uh, to accommodate all road users. Um, And we're entering a phase now um, in California where we have California... Is the uh, is the largest state in the nation to have a, a complete streets law or policy covering every public roadway? So, uh, CBC sponsored uh, the Complete Streets Act of California, which was enacted a couple of years ago.
0: Did, uh, did you, I'm sorry, we're the only state to have a, a law that covers every roadway. That complete streets law
1: to cover every roadway. Some states have um, some states have complete streets laws that only cover uh, cities and counties. Um, some states only have a complete streets policy that covers state highways. Um, we've, got, we've got one that covers both local streets and roads as well as the state highway system. Um, and a number of other states have uh, various combinations of that. Some, a lot of cities have complete streets policies. Um, so within their jurisdiction, they, they operate under a complete streets policy. Um, but the idea here is to is to begin looking at how we design and operate road systems to accommodate everybody, and it's going to be a it's going to be a pretty slow process, um, simply because uh, you know we have to change our thinking about how we look at roadways. Um, roadways are meant for moving people, not necessarily for moving cars only. Um, Uh, We have the Complete Streets Act of California, which the CBC sponsored uh, several years ago. That applies to cities and counties. Uh, At the same time that we were working on that, Caltrans took its non-motorized transportation policy, which is the term for bicycle and pedestrian accommodation, and it rewrote it and made it a complete streets policy. It's called Deputy Directive 64R1. It's a that's the that's the jargon DD64 is is how you sometimes hear people refer to it but essentially that's Caltrans complete streets policy for highways so now we've got these laws in place and these policies in place and uh we're going to see start to see some implementation of that so um uh, you know, you, you raised another point about, about the trade-offs between a small percentage of, of vehicle traffic versus moving people into another mode of transportation. Yeah, um, yeah it can just take a little bit uh, to kind of tip things in a more efficient direction. Um, but operation of roadways is really important, too. And a good example of that is Valencia Street in San Francisco, two miles long uh, from Bernal Heights up to uh, Civic Center in San Francisco. And uh, that was a, for years, that was a four-lane, two-way street, Um, pretty crowded, um, pretty busy. It was one of the main north-south streets up into the central uh, part of San Francisco, and um, had tons of traffic. Business had kind of died off on this street because it was just not, you know, not a very pleasant place to walk, Um, just a whole lot of traffic. The city put... Uh, put that road on what's what we call a road diet, so it went from four lanes to two lanes. Um, they took that extra space on the roadway and they added uh, bike, pa- or bike lanes in either direction, and they're actually widening the sidewalks. So they're really completely transforming this street. And uh, the other thing they did was to adjust the timing of the green lights on the street. And... Uh, it had the effect of making traffic flow more efficiently. Um, the green wave, what's called the green wave, is the timing of those green lights. And it's timed now so that a bicyclist can ride uh, the full length of Valencia Street without stopping. This is through the middle of a dense urban neighborhood, and you can ride for two miles. Um, I want to say it's about uh, uh, 15 miles an hour, 18 miles an hour and i've done it and it's exhilarating because <laughs> you're just flown right along with traffic suddenly that street works a whole lot better for everybody you have fewer red light violations by bicyclists that's safer for bicyclists safer for motorists safer for pedestrians um, so there are even some adjustments that can just be made to the way that the street is operated you know this timing of signals that can make everything flow more efficiently um, and one of the effects of that can be that uh, there's more bike traffic on that street. That street's really busy with bicycles. You know, a dozen people um, on either side of the street in every block. I mean, that's a lot of bicyclists compared to a lot of places in California and uh, or more. I've been there at rush hour when it's just a steady flow of bicycles in both directions. Um, that convinces some drivers who might be interested in bicycling to to go ahead and try bicycling instead of driving, you know. So you don't even have to mandate a way to get people out of their cars. You just create the conditions that make it a little easier. Um, You know, what we're seeing right now is some really interesting uh, survey findings out of the city of Portland. Uh, Their transportation department surveyed residents about uh, bicycling for transportation. And uh, about 60% of the people who responded fell into what they called the interested but concerned category. Sixty percent of those folks said they uh, like the idea of bicycling for transportation, they would love to do it, but uh, they're not comfortable yet uh, riding a bike for transportation because they don't feel safe on the road. So, you know, imagine being able to free up this huge potential bike ridership by addressing safety concerns. So you know, the minute you create some facilities that that make it safer for people to to make that choice, uh, they're going to choose to do it. There's another really interesting piece of research by a fellow named Peter Jacobson out of uh, Sacramento, the Safety and Numbers Study. And what what Peter showed was that um, an increase in ridership corresponds with a decrease in the rate of of injuries resulting from vehicle collisions. So in other words. More bikes prevents collisions, which seems uh, counterintuitive, but it's like the ecosystem changes and and everybody learns how to operate together in a more safe fashion. So it's like the one thing you can do to make – almost anything you can do to make the roads safer so that people will choose to ride – Results in safe, better safety for everybody, you know, because you're you're getting more people on the road, and yeah. that alone. Okay, go ahead.
0: What, So, <laughs> what, what do you see? I want to get I want to get uh, back to the summit real quick. Um, yeah, Because yeah, that's yeah. happening this weekend. Yeah. and um, what do you see coming out of it?
1: We see a couple of things. Um, this is a way to bring together the bike advocacy community in California. Um, this is by no means the entire bike advocacy community in California, but it is a, uh, a nice representative subset of the bike uh, advocacy community statewide to, uh, to get to know each other, share ideas, um, share what works. Um, you're starting to see the benefits of that sharing all over the place. You know, when, when uh, L.A. Uh, uh, launched its Ciclavia other communities started doing it too, and now you've got Livia in Oakland. You've got the city, uh, the Sunday Streets program in San Francisco, which is a monthly open streets uh, program. Uh, there was even an open streets event up in Redding in in um, in April. So you're seeing, you know, you're seeing other communities sharing the benefits of the learning in one community. So that's going to be a really important consequence of the. Um, of the summit is just to sort of build everybody's knowledge base and and, uh, strengthen their advocacy capacity. And and then the other thing is that we're really interested in identifying um, uh, issues of common concern around the state. And uh, so part of the conversation, particularly tomorrow at the summit, will be um, to talk about uh, what's happening in advocacy in California, how bicycle advocacy relates to other types of transportation advocacy efforts so what's going on in the pedestrian world what's going on um, in the efforts to um, uh, fight climate change uh, what's happening with uh, you know rails to trails projects uh, recreational uh, bicycling and then uh, then we'll sort of move directly from there to talk about um, what are issues of common concern what collectively can we identify as kind of the big the big priorities we need to work on? There are a couple of things that, that we're interested in at CBC, um, including how to continue implementing the complete streets laws that we have. You know, how can we make that um, really work in the state? Um, but that's not the only issue that's, that's uh, of concern. Um, and we want to hear from the grassroots level um, you know, California is unique in the United States in the number of uh, local bike advocacy organizations uh, that are operating. There are probably at least 50 in California. Um, some of them are incorporated and are, you know, have paid staff. A few of them, you know, a dozen or so have paid staff. The rest are all volunteer. Um, but these folks are doing great, great work in their communities. And that's unlike any other state. And so we've got this tremendously rich resource and a whole bunch of energy at the local level. And what CBC wants to do is to be an appropriate resource to them. You know, if we need a law change that's going to affect what all of them are able to do, that's something we can do because we're in Sacramento, and it may not be something that a local coalition has the resources to do. So we're really looking at the working relationship between bike advocacy at the state government level and bike advocacy at the local level, because they go very much hand-in-hand. Hand. And this kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier about standards.
0: So you're kind of the representatives of the bike advocacy
1: community? We're some of them. We're some of them. You know, what's interesting about the bike, uh, the bicycling world is that it is incredibly diverse um, for a bunch of reasons, and it is, um, it is not... Uh, as coherent as other kinds of movements. You know, it's not as, as cohesive as other kinds of movements. Um, so, for example, you've got a lot of...
0: It's not like AAA.
1: It's not like AAA, but then AAA doesn't represent all people in cars either. Um, I think of, you know, the for way sure. I think of it is that, uh, for example, there are a ton of low-income people who are bike-dependent, Um, they probably don't want to be bicyclists. They probably want to have a car, you know, but they have to have a bicycle because that's what they can afford. And Mm -hmm. so, um, you know, they are a really important constituency of ours, even though they might not ever know about us, they might not ever care about our issues, Mm -hmm. they might not, that might not be at all where they're Mm -hmm. uh, focused, but they need to know that they, you know, that um, they need to be supported, you know, the safety of, you know the safety of 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 bike dependent low income workers in Los Angeles is really important um even though they might not ever be involved in an in a conversation about bike advocacy the way that we are yeah. um but they're still impacted by what happens and we have to keep those folks in mind you know that's one example um there are Recreational riders who are doing it for fitness—they're doing it for social reasons. They may not think too much about the politics. They might not even care about the politics, but their safety on the road is um, depends on having a coherent road system. So, um, so there's a couple of examples of of the constituency of the bike advocacy movement, um, who might not be like of the movement, part of the movement. Um, you know, um, so so that's you know that's one of the so that's why I want to qualify what how we represent what the summit is about because we're not able to pull together absolutely everybody, but we're actually kind of moving in that direction. We have um, uh, you know we're going to have bike advocacy groups from all over the state. Uh, we have uh, cycling clubs. We have. Um, Allied nonprofits that are part of this. We have public employees. Um, a number of city employees have come to uh, to participate and learn and share. Uh, we have some uh, uh, private sector allies. These would include consulting firms. We've got some bike manufacturers. We've got bike retailers. These are all people who care about what's happening with bicycling in California, and so this is a really um, interesting opportunity to bring them all into the same. Room and uh, let them get to know each other and share ideas and learn from each other. Okay.
3: Um, do, do,
0: I could oh,
1: go ahead.
0: Um, you, so this is your first summit.
1: This is our first summit. We uh, we held a series of conferences uh, uh, starting probably two thousand three, two thousand four, called the Walk Bike California Conference. Kind of a state level version of the pro walk pro bike uh, conference that happens around the country, and um, we have uh, we have seen some uh, benefit in kind of uh, uh, changing our approach to bringing people together. Um, you know, the summit has a different goal than that set of than that series of conferences we we did. I think we did three of them. And they were statewide conferences that brought folks together. The, the goal here is to identify um, issues of common concern, strengthen the relationship between advocacy at the local government level and advocacy at the state government level to make sure that we're, we're supporting each other. Uh, you know, we learn a whole bunch about uh, the needs of, 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 of the bicycling world from local folks, an example of that is I was down here three weeks ago for a workshop and spent uh, quite a bit of time talking to Andy Rodriguez at the uh, LACBC about the City of Lights program. City of Lights program is this incredible program to bring uh, bike education and bike safety and better resources to some of the most disadvantaged people in Los Angeles. These would be bike-dependent day laborers. Um, so they do curbside uh bike safety education at Home Depot. They go right out to where these guys are waiting for work and talk to them a little bit. These are folks who ride their bikes to to work. And that's a a place to find them and to to give them some information. Um, And then at the uh at the uh at one of the day labor centers they have a, a bike kitchen that they've set up so people can get their bikes fixed. Uh, they can learn how to fix their bikes, learn how to maintain their bikes, so that 's an example of of a way to that bike advocacy can serve a uh, uh, kind of an invisible population of bike users whose safety is really, really important, who probably depend more on an adequate transportation system than a lot of us on bicycles um, and um, and so so that's an example of, of what I get to learn when I get to talk to local advocates. So um, it's uh, this this conversation is really important uh, in both directions. I think. Do,
3: do they do they really call it a bike kitchen? They just don't even say a, a bike program or something. It's it's definitely the bike kitchen kind of. Uh, and the reason I, I I say that is because it's it goes back to uh, Los Angeles and the eco village here, which is walking distance from here, where. Everything sort of spawned from there, including, uh, you know, people saw that uh, hey, there's a need for this, and then fulfilled the need, and then the need had to move into uh, it got too big and and almost revitalized a whole section of Los Angeles. So much so that now it's that model is going to other sections of Los Angeles and beyond.
1: Yeah, it's terrific. I mean, there's a lot of that kind of action happening in L.A., and that's what it's <clears throat> you know that's certainly the model that the. Uh, that the uh, city of lights program is based on yeah. um and it's and again it's it's about uh like like a lot of bike kitchen programs it's 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 a self-help program that 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 gives people the the knowledge and tools they need to be able to be self-reliant um and of course it's it's an affordable way to do it for people who who can't participate in the um in the retail bike scene the way that a lot of people can
0: so, how would you characterize the l a advocacy community compared with other parts of california um, seems pretty strong com- here y-
1: you know i, is I normal? you know i I don't know if I can compare it you know the conditions are so different this is the the nation's second largest city um and other cities in California aren't nearly as big so the the, the conditions down here are pretty unique um I will say that there is a a ton of interest in in, um, bicycling and accommodating bicycling, um, growing in the Los Angeles area. And you see, um, you know, you see sort of the official interest on the part of of, uh, Mayor Antonio Villaraigosa. You see a lot of commitment out of city leaders in places like um, Long Beach. You see. Uh, You see a lot of grassroots uh, groups growing up. So, for example, LACBC now has seven regional chapter organizations that they're helping to kind of get rolling. You know, Santa Monica, Culver City, West Hollywood just got organized. Um, There's one that's just been organized in the last couple of weeks up in Glendale, um, Montebello, West Anger Bureau Valley. Um, So there are a number of places like that that are... um, Looking at the needs uh, in their communities. And uh, it's pretty, it's just pretty amazing to see all of this stuff kind of flowering all at once. I was just talking, I saw Andy Rodriguez yesterday, and uh, uh, we were both kind of exclaiming about how um, there just seems to be this momentum right now. There just, something's happening, and um, it's really exciting. There's a ton of interest in this. Um, You know, a good example of this is is uh, is is your interest in what we 're doing you know um, uh, it 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 arose out of what 's going on in l a and you know you and I got connected and we 're now able to have these kinds of conf- conversations and you know, you know I just keep seeing uh, it 's not following this sort of linear path it 's all of a sudden it 's just kind of flowering everywhere it 's pretty exciting it 's pretty exciting and folks are you know within the state are getting to meet each other so there 's a lot of um, you know, for example, Bike Bakersfield is bringing eight people to the uh, California Bike Summit. It's probably the largest single group at the Bike Summit. And they're on fire in Bakersfield, you know. And Bakersfield has a lot of challenges and a lot of needs. And there's this committed core of people who really want to make a difference there. And um, so you're seeing a lot, of, a lot of inspiration all over the place. Um, and you know, successes in one one community can can influence successes in another community. So there's a lot of cross pollination going on. So, so that's not really a direct answer to your question because I don't think it's possible to compare what's happening here with what's happening in other parts of the state. Um, San Francisco Bicycle Coalition is the is is the largest bike advocacy organization in the United States. You know, they're a gigantic organizations. I was well, organization. we just in
0: Chicago and I I visited people from. Uh Active trends, yeah. That's that's pretty. They, so they have forty three people on staff. That's I, so I thought that was like the biggest.
1: Uh, it could be the biggest. It could be the biggest in terms of staff. In terms of staff, um, yeah. um, SFBC has okay. upwards of of you know thirteen thousand members. Oh yeah, I didn't think of members. Yeah. So mm-hmm.
3: do
1: you need to get that? Uh, no, we'll, I'll get it. I'll get it later. Thanks. <laughs> so um,
3: one of, one of the things we talked about earlier was that, was that the standards are diverse around the state, but uh, uh, and you're bringing all these people. I, I'm wondering, um, isn't there some sort of uh, l- linear path that we can follow? I mean, we, we're always looking for other states, and you talked about Portland and some of the numbers from there, but wh- why can't we just look at places like in Los Angeles, places like Long Beach where there are a, a, a smaller municipality that are making it work, or some of the examples there, or is it just because, oh, we, we have so many more numbers here, uh, we, we can't just sort of drop it right in and like you said before there's there's lawsuits because there's no uh, environmental report or, or something like that my my question is instead of looking to portland why don't we look to places like davis where we've seen how bicycle can work or something like that
1: i hear you i hear you we've got you know we've got great examples of of communities doing really interesting things here and so um, you know portland places like portland are really inspiring because yeah. you can you can see you can see a really fully grown system that, um, that's really rolling. Um, but obviously conditions are different in Portland than they are in a place like Los Angeles. And so I think, um, it may be, uh, it may be challenging to, uh, to just transplant a model from a place like Oregon or Davis into a place like Los Angeles. Yeah. But, but if you look at a city sort of block by block, you realize, okay, hey, this block or this, this side of this park would be an ideal place for a separated bike path and um you know or a cycle track in it and um so let's try it here you know they're having some success in Long Beach um so i think anecdotally you can just see how things are are going in other places and draw some some pretty basic reasonable conclusions that that something like that would work here as well um uh you know the real value in um in not transplant simply transplanting what's being done in other places is that there's a chance to actually look at the needs of the community in any given place. you know you've got wildly different neighborhoods all throughout Los Angeles, and the needs there may be very, very different and so um, and of course, you've got this really large number of of governmental agencies, you've got a whole bunch of cities within LA county. Um, it makes it hard to kind of come up with one One plan that pulls everybody together, Um, but a but a basic vision of how everything connects is really valuable. Um, So I think um, you know we're starting to to have more uh, really good examples in California. You know, folks in uh, West Hollywood Hollywood want to put a put Fountain Avenue on a road diet to create bike lanes, and um, you know. There are plenty of examples of other communities within California that are doing that, and so we have actually a lot of rich resources. That's one of the benefits of this summit is bringing all those folks together so they know each other, they meet each other, and, and are able to have a conversation about what, what's working in your in your city and, and why.
0: So how will they stay in touch? Will they, can, are you going to put like a, a bicycle social network network? Uh Website up or anything like that, or are they going to go I on Google Plus?
1: Haven't haven't figured out the specifics of the technology yet, and everybody's going to have a different need around that. I'm hoping during the summit that we can talk about what are some what are some effective, useful, like meaningful forum. ways. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. To to try to keep to keep everybody in conversation. I think just getting everybody in the in the same room is a is mm-hmm. a terrific place to start mm-hmm. um, because people with um, with similar interests are going to identify. You know are going to identify uh uh you know their counterparts in other parts of the state and and there's going to be some dialogue as a result of that
0: and, and is this happening you know nationally transnationally are you going down to mexico and and you're going over to europe and well, we, we okay. I was
1: I was down here for a uh, a workshop um, hosted by the um, Alliance for Biking and Walking. Oh yes, and um, uh, one of the participants in this workshop was actually there were two people from Mexico City uh, coming to Mexico City. They're coming from Mexico City to talk about um, how uh, what they can learn and take back with them. So. Um,
3: my, my, uh, here, let me grab this while he gets to the phone. Is that, is that no. something I we're going to take? April on the phone.
0: April does chicks on bikes here. Hey, April. Want to talk to her? Yeah, hey, April. How you doing?
5: Hi, Jim. <laughs> I'm good. I'll see you later today.
0: Yeah,
1: I hope so. Um,
5: so, I wanted to, I, I hope you haven't already talked about this. I just tuned in about a half hour ago. If you have, then just shove it aside, but, um, could you talk a little bit about any plans that the CBC might have for um, local and um, um, city-wide or statewide development for bike tourism and bike travel?
1: Well, you know, we're, we're very interested in this. We have been involved with some discussions on development of the U.S. bike route system. Which is a project of the Adventure Cycling Association. Their right. executive director, Jim Sayer, is going to be at the summit, and we'll be talking a little bit about this during the summit. Um, we're definitely interested in um, in what they're trying to do in terms of connecting the U.S. with this interstate bike route system. Um, and you know, bike tourism is a is a is is a very interesting subject because. It speaks to the needs of a lot of uh, visitors to California, uh, a lot of wonderful uh, places to see from a bicycle in California, and we'd love to, to s- figure out how we can be useful in um, encouraging that.
5: Great.
1: Does that help? I
5: look, yeah, I look forward to that. That's great.
1: Excellent. Well, thank you for the thank you for the question. I appreciate it. We'll see. We'll see you a little bit later this
3: afternoon.
5: All right. Thanks. See Thanks. you later. Thanks, Thanks April. Bye bye I have one question
3: I'd be remiss if I didn't ask it with with all this uh, uh things like the Occupy movement and, and other movements. I'm finding that they're less dependent on cars a lot of the time and and it's it's a bicycle kind of uh, uh almost culture that's growing around there in fact, some of the ones the one in Los Angeles has their little homage to the bike kitchen. they have a bike toaster but but it's sort of degenerated now so as they they said it, uh, I went there. Last week, after being there the week before, and now they call it bike scum. So, so it's kind of degenerated into like, to doing that. I, I think they they sort of were realized that the bike people, regardless of what culture, are, are treated like scum, or they are the scum. But they they've sort of elevated that to to the next level, and I'm I'm wondering if we're, we're seeing a lot of. Uh, advocacy around the state, almost like a DIY kind of thing that's growing up out of the almost, I don't want to say anarchist kind of thing, but it's a very much an alternative. And, and while we've depicted in some things, or even people like uh, DOT here or something say, well, there's a level of rider, and you even talked about the level of rider and other uh, things, what I'm trying to get at is... Do you think that these things will transcend anything the government does, regardless of whether the government sets in guidelines or all these things? People will continue to ride in any condition or anything. Do you, do you see it that they might even solve their own things? I know in some places they've even they've gone out and said, well, if, if they're not going to put up sharrows, we're going to do it ourselves.
1: I mean, it's an interesting question because um, – because the roadways are typically a public facility, you know, so they're kind of uh, f- uh, maintained and provided by um, public institutions like government agencies. So um, uh, it's hard to it's hard to foresee kind of an alternative approach to transportation uh, that that uh, uses the public roadways in that way. Mm-hmm. I think the way I I look at it is. Um, bicyclists you know bicycles predate cars. Yes. We were here first. <laughs> and it's not a you know it it's I don't think it's
3: it's, it's almost like a Native American movement. Yes. We want our our our, our streets back. Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: um, and so so bicyclists have always been part of the transportation mix in California or in the United States. And what's happening is um, after a a long period where it wasn't seen as transportation or wasn't encouraged as transportation or even relied, re- relied upon very much as transportation, it's now back to being a, a primary form of transportation for a lot of people. And so... Um, I think what the phenomenon you're pointing to is already happening. I mean, part of the reason we have a bicycling movement is there were people who were using bicycles for transportation who said, um, we've got to have a roadway system that is, um, that is safe for me to use. We just have to do that, and we have to have laws that make it, that, that affirm my legal right to be on the road. We have to have laws that um, reasonably accommodate me you know we have speed limits, we have crosswalks, we have a lot of things that are meant to accommodate folks on the road. Um so it, you know what what we're talking about isn't particularly unusual in terms of the system. So um um I you know certainly the grassroots interest in all of this is is it is a big driver of what's happening. You know, look, for example, at car ownership rates among youngest people in our country. You know, they're far lower than um, a generation before. And these are, you know, these are people who are relying more on bicycles, walking, and and transit to to do what they need to do. Um, That has huge implications for what our roads look like. one of the things we'll be talking about this weekend is some kind of bicycling curriculum in public schools. You know, how are we going to prepare these people to use the road um, if they're not going to be driving on the road? You know, what could we offer them in the way of encouragement to to ride um, more regularly if that's something that they want to do? You know, imagine the health benefits of getting um, a car dependent generation of people um, out of their cars and 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 back out onto the streets in a more active way.
0: Well, you know, we live... I mean, the whole city, as big as LA is, is only, like, what is it, 12 miles from downtown to the beach? Something like that? Uh, 10? 12? And so it's faster to ride than take a bus, but if you had a straight like bike freeway, it would be even faster. We'd probably be able to do it... I mean, Roadblock does it in, like, 45 minutes, you know? Yeah.
3: Oh, okay. Now... are are we really going to bring? Uh well, that's
0: not the average.
3: <laughs>
0: but, um, but, yeah, I mean, if there was some intentional way of of uh, of getting people to be able to to do these distances in the in 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 the times that are possible.
1: Well, I mean, this is this is why you're seeing implementation of a bike boulevard in LA. Yes. I mean, that's a fantastic step forward that's going to be 4 or 5 miles of 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 a route that's primarily dedicated to bicycling you know these are bicycle boulevards are typically what street um, are
0: you pardon me what street i'm sorry because we have one on is fourth. it is it fourth?
1: fourth has it already been open
3: well fourth is fourth is supposedly our boulevard and 7th is our our lane. lane or our our new highway which is really fantastic because if you've never had anything just to see it is just Oh, kind yeah, of I mean, mind boggling. I mean, and, and that's the other thing. It's like. But it,
0: it, we're so excited. It's one bike lane. I mean, we're so, we're, we're falling all over ourselves.
3: So. <laughs> and, and sometimes you do that. I'm wondering if, if our, our standards have diminished as we sort of, the accountability is, 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 is sort of diminishing too, to, towards, we, we say we want to implement these programs and, and, you know, how, how do we get a time frame on some of this stuff?
1: Well, I mean, that's a really, that's a really important question because, um, you know, wouldn't it be great if there were 100 7th um, Streets being implemented in Los Angeles all at the same time? You know, part of it is, the, is sort of the cultural shift, getting, getting society to value that this form of transportation is worth doing. Um, part of it is getting um, uh, public officials who care about this you know, and there are public officials who care about it, but but you know we're still looking for that kind of the the right number of people to make this a priority. One of the reasons a bunch of stuff is happening in Long Beach is that their mayor and city council said we want this to happen, um, and and stuff happens when that when that um, when it goes that way. City of Davis is another great example. Back in the early 1960s. University of California was master planning the UC Davis campus. The chancellor created this um, fantastic uh, network of bikeways throughout the, uh, throughout the campus. The city didn't have any plans for anything corresponding, so they developed a bike plan that would match what was happening on campus, and the city council voted it down. And citizens became angry enough that they voted out that city council, right. voted in a majority that was bike friendly, and the, one of the very first things that that new uh, majority did was to vote for the bike plan. So it was so, a that's a great model of what happens when citizens decide this is important enough for me to do. Um, then the the other thing I wanted to add, just to kind of close out that thought, was yeah. was that um, you need the resources, you know, and right now. Uh, city governments are struggling to provide essential services. So the question is how do we, I mean, it costs real dollars to do some of what's needed, you know, in terms of engineering or reengineering a, an intersection to make it safer, as an example. You know, moving a moving a, a signal or adding a signal can be quite expensive. Yeah, but so. then
0: again, those are job creation. Well,
1: exactly. I mean, this is why, you know, this is why the Obama administration is trying to push uh, transportation infrastructure as a jobs as a jobs creator, yes. um, and then you know, then there are other communities that are trying to be more creative in figuring out how to implement facilities without w- within their means. So in Sacramento, for example, um, implementation of the Bike Master Plan is tied to street resurfacing. So every time a street is scheduled to be resurfaced, um, that's when you put in. If it doesn't have a lane, that's when you put it in because obviously you've got to restripe the street anyway, right? You know? Do we
3: have that here?
0: Well,
1: it, you know, it, he
3: brings this up. I, I think <coughs> I, I called up uh, my person in this area of District 4, uh, Tom LaVange, when they were resurfacing um, Beverly, the street out front. And he says, and you know, I said, hey, Tom, they're resurfacing. Why, why can't we do it? And Tom immediately goes, oh, you know, the mathematics wrong. We need this much for this, and we couldn't have a bike lane and everything. And I said, but w- what about just paint, a-, a shower or something? And it was so hard just to talk to him about that. And what I was really amazed was, I said, well, you know, some of the streets around there. they said no, but we talk about how things like the Ciclavia causes change. It yeah. gets people to think differently. Yeah. There is paint now on streets that they said would never have paint. So maybe that's the anarchist kind of thing. And I, I don't mean like true anarchists. I'm Well, what is a true anarchist? We're not going to define it here, but... Uh, things like Bikeside was downtown talking about, uh, just, just what you're talking about, about some of the candidates and how they felt about bicycling and stuff. And, and while not all of them made the runoff, it, it brought to mind, and, you know, they were playing, obviously, the sequel via crowd, but it brought to mind that there is a change out there. People are definitely looking at, at different issues about, about transportation in the city.
1: Well, you know, San Francisco offers a good model there because you don't have a particularly um, supportive city government. It's not like they have committed to uh, bike access the way folks in Long Beach have, for example, or the folks in Davis were back in the 60s. Um, But what you do have is a grassroots movement in San Francisco that is uh, really well organized. And, uh, you know, when SFBC needs to turn out you know three hundred people to a meeting they can do that you know they they are connected well enough that they can do that, and so you know that 's an instance of where where it's the it 's the activists who are kind of driving driving the change. Um, there are a couple of ways that change seems to happen one is that you 've got visionary public leaders you know Portland has had the benefit of a number of mayors who have really um understood the value of of the kind of innovations we're seeing in Portland and so Portland bears the fruit of that for that reason. Um and then you have in the case of Davis, you have a you have a, a university chancellor, Clark Kerr back in the early sixties, who realized that bicycling was a really valuable way to move people around. So so he was kind of the the initiating force to get those changes to happen. Um so we got you know a couple of different models.
0: You ever have the grassroots and the person at the top who understands the the value of uh, of all this of the transportation?
1: Um, you know, you you it sounds um, like it's always one or one or the other. I, I don't, say. I don't, I don't think it it, it is uh, it has to be it has to be exclusive that way. And um, you know, there are there are a lot of bike friendly. Uh, Leaders and candidates who are who are interested in these issues in communities that have active grassroots efforts too. So um, uh, they're they're not you know they're not in opposition and they don't need to be in opposition. But in you know in uh, in communities that want to see this stuff happen, um, I think that um, bringing these issues to to candidates and making it an issue. Is a really important strategy for for getting things to change. You know, the fact that ciclovia happened has just changed the climate down here, it has. and it may not result overnight in a hundred, you know, uh, seventh streets, but <clears throat> but that's the direction things are starting
3: to turn. Yeah, and and I, I mentioned this uh, also because. Um, we live in Los Angeles, and it's beautiful here. And we, uh, April talked about tourism and stuff, and how we get that. But I I look at it, and it, it just seems like a no brainer that somebody's going to come along and, and say, let's let's brand the bike within the culture. Let's let's get something so as it's easier for uh, you know getting around Los Angeles or even Hollywood with some sort of bike share program. We've had real trouble getting people to say, well, we have to get some money from this or something. Yeah. Occupied LA. I keep going back to that. Had a bike share program, and while theirs is thwarted by by theft or something, sure. it was it was up and running in a day or two, and people understood it. And um, I I think maybe if we translate that into to to from from that into into something maybe a, a little more concrete or something. I know in Paris they do it with uh, they offset it with uh, uh, advertising dollars. All these sure. little stations have. Sure have huge advertising for either film or something. I'm, I'm thinking here maybe we could go even further. I know in the Netherlands they brand with the idea of health involved and other things, and I'm wondering sure. if we couldn't do the same thing here because of the obesity problems in, in school or something. We just would have to ask them to go back to their future, go back to the 50s, and say, hey, you know, it was cool to ride a bike back then. Why isn't it cool nowadays?
1: You're... you're uh I, I love the intersection that we're at, you know, because what you're pointing to are um, initiatives by public agencies. You're talking about media, you know. Part of part of the reason that, uh, part of the way that you brand, you know, to use the word you were using, uh, is to interest the media in uh, in why people are bicycling. I think the media is right now kind of, uh, fascinated but confused about what to do with bicycling, which is why you see bicycles showing up in high end you know fashion ads exactly. and um, and you see it in in uh, you know tourism magazines um, and and, I, and and nobody quite has has quite yet figured out um, how to portray it as a regular part of somebody's life. You know, April who called earlier is involved with this, you know, really cool project to get younger women interested in bicycling, you know, girls and younger women interested in bicycling. They're the indicator species in the bicycle advocacy world. What's it called? It's called chicks on bikes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um and you know that's an example of using media to to uh, to drive some interest in you know what we 're doing here today is 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 going to have the effect of getting getting a few more people thinking a little bit differently about some of these issues um, there 's also an initiative coming out of of Long Beach called uh, women on bikes socal, which is an effort to you know kind of another expression uh, related in my mind to the cycle chic movement, you know, to try to interest um, a certain portion of of women to think about bicycling as something they can do every day that doesn't have to negatively impact their appearance or how they get through their day. Mm -hmm. You know, I think a lot of people still struggle with the idea that um, bicycling requires special equipment, you have to have a place to change clothes, and the fact of the matter is... um, I don't have special equipment for riding my bike. And so, you know, we can, we can educate people about how to make bikes an ordinary part of life. I mean, you don't have special clothes to ride the bus. You don't have special clothes to walk someplace. Um, and. Uh, well,
0: there is the sweat factor.
1: It doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be.
0: Um, you mean you could ride, you don't have to ride at, at a sweating kind of a, uh, exertion level?
3: What's, what's wrong with sweat? I love the smell of sweat. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's the French in me, huh? <laughs> but uh, he, he brings up some things. I, kn- I know in some places they do have showers now, and they do have uh, yeah. sort of a, a little station where you can uh, sort of organize your belongings and yourself and your appearance before you go into work or something.
1: I mean that's a that's an interesting um, part of this. Is what can be done to make it easier for. Uh, for uh, employees, particularly in, in office buildings or or big companies, to to ride bikes, and this is where, you know, this is where some companies are actually kind of out ahead of government institutions. So, for example, we were talking last night about uh, what Google's doing. You know, Google has its own bus system. It doesn't rely on the public transit system. It's got a lot of employees who can't live, can't, af- can't afford to live in the Silicon Valley area, or don't want to live there. Um, but the public transit is not adequate for getting them to and from work. So Google said, "Well, okay, so we'll just do this for you." Um, and it, uh, you know, they they have the resources to do it, so they offer it. So Google- if you work for Google. If, yeah, I mean, not everybody. You know, not many people work for Google, but the point is, there's a model for yeah. for commitment right.
0: by. Like, if the LAUSD for where I work, you know, it's a huge employer. Sure. If they would make even just a, a minor, you know, concession to people who bike to work. You mean, like bring
3: back buck, bus, uh, just bike racks or
0: something. Yeah, like bike racks, yeah. or uh, a shower.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a ton of there's a ton of sort of small fixes that could get people to. Uh, get people to use the system a little bit more um, frequently. You know, a good example of this is to look at some of the uh, Amtrak California commuter trains. We have the Capitol Corridor train in Sacramento that goes from Sacramento to San Jose. <clears> Ten percent <throat> of the ridership accesses that system by bicycle. I mean, that's way higher than the the overall bicycle ridership rate for bike commuting in, in our part of the state. Um It is huge, and the reason they 're able to do that is they have uh, you know they have uh, adequate bike racks on the trains. They make it very simple. You just roll your bike on and put it on the rack and you 're good to go um, that 's an example of where um, a relatively small accommodation can suddenly make it a lot easier for people to travel on bikes. so um, there are a bunch of those kinds of fixes. Bike racks are another. Uh, another issue bike racks on the street you know if you don't have a place to park your bike you may be reluctant to leave your bike on the street Um, and if you don't have a place to park it you may just leave the bike home and drive you know but if you knew that you could adequately safely lock up your bike so it doesn't walk off um, you're likelier to use it that's a small fix
0: probably the biggest reason people don't take their bikes is because they think they're going to get hit by a car. Yeah. But if if all these little things make people ride a little bit more, then it'll get safer and then that big reason might be might have a impact on it. Yeah, you're starting
1: to change the the ecosystem. I try to think about the roads as an ecosystem and once you get a you know you make a few little adjustments and a few more people ride and that means that the regular drivers along that route are now accustomed to seeing bicycles a little more often. Um, Some of them might actually ride on that route a little more often, you know, get out of their car occasionally and do that. Um, And, and all of those things start to, um, to raise awareness about, about making the streets safer. You know, I had this interesting aha moment in Sacramento when I was looking at one of the main uh, arterial streets through downtown Sacramento and I thought, boy, you know, if, if this was your daily commute, this one street, and it's a, th- you know, it's a three lane one way street with, you know, fairly congested, fairly high speeds. It's like, why would you get on your bike? You know, if, if, if you, if, if all you could imagine was getting out of your car on that street and putting your bike on that street, why would you do it? You know, it's, it doesn't, it's obviously not a comfortable place to ride. Probably not a particularly safe place to ride, so why would you do it so so um you know it's it's uh uh it's important to make these changes as a way to encourage more people to consider their alternatives.
0: you talked about uh curriculum in schools bike curriculum, which I'm interested in, and also I'm wondering about you know all those kids on fixed gear you know like the like the new skateboarders of bikes is uh you know and they, and what's going to happen as they grow up and are are they, who are they going to become who who are they going to make it make an impact make a difference in in uh, ridership
1: I, I i'm counting on them yeah. i'm counting on them i mean these are people who love bicycles and these are people who love the experience of being on a bicycle um whether they're always going to want to ride a fixed gear bicycle is um you know is 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 uh Unknown. My guess is that when you get to be my age, maybe a fixed gear bicycle isn't quite so fun as when you're 17. But um, uh, you know, I'm 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 not too concerned about what kind of bike they ride. These are people who, from a very young age, have had um, really meaningful experiences on bicycles, and that stuff doesn't go away. You know, these are people who who know that they can get around on bicycle. And these are these are brave people too. You know, these are these are are folks yeah, yeah. who are who are okay getting out there and mixing it up with cars. And so, well,
0: but bravery also involves, I think, like the definition of courage is is like having fear in the first place and yet overcoming it because there's a reason to overcome okay. it. So I think in some cases, I don't think people really think about what the danger is when I watch a lot of kids riding.
1: Well, you know, you're 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 talking about things like um, brain development in adolescence, you know. <laughs> if you don't have a fully functioning neocortex yet, you're probably not thinking so much about the consequences of your choices. But, you know, this is what growing up and, and, and getting some mileage under you provides. Um, you know, I worry, I worry a lot about the safety of, of those folks when they may not be thinking entirely fully about, uh, about the implications of what they're choosing to do. Because um, I don't want them to get hurt, and um, but you know, for me, the, the, the big the big picture is that these are these are experienced, um, dedicated people who have had the you know have had the, the the experience of of using a bicycle to get around, and that I think that just changes things. I think it just changes things, and you know, they're going to value this forever.
3: I'm I'm curious. I have a question about did you did you consciously bring it to Los Angeles specifically on this day because it rained yesterday and there's only like ten beautiful days in Los Angeles and believe it or not this is a beautiful day just sitting here in the studio I think we've seen just sitting w- during the program I saw five different riders in the first like thirty seconds of this thing one going one way one going the other way I, uh, you planned this right we planned the weather yeah yes. it was I uh, mean, just the weather and and we we talk about Portland and all these other places—they never look like this. It's never this beautiful, and yet we're we're putting that value judgment towards towards people in Los Angeles. So you have to like almost gaffer tape to to, do, to chairs and almost assault them to get them to places. And, and yet today is like the day for being on a bike. I mean, it, it just seems like a no brainer to get to this thing.
1: Yeah, it's it's uh, you know it's. Y- You're pointing to kind of an interesting uh, uh, kind of. It's not a disconnect. It seems sort of counterintuitive that the cities with the highest rates of bicycle ridership would be places like Minneapolis, Seattle, and Portland, you know, with some of the most challenging weather in the U.S. Um, We were we were talking about this yesterday, and there may be something about um, the determination that people in those environments have to actually get out and make the most of their beautiful environment. You know, it may be that in California, uh, we're just a little too um, uh,
3: pampered, <laughs> pampered, whipped. <laughs> you you name it. Yes. <laughs> it's, uh,
1: it's
0: beautiful every day. There's no reason to go outside. Yeah, they're
1: like that. Isn't that isn't isn't is not an, a driving factor because you know most days are really nice. Um, whereas if you live in Minneapolis and you've got a you know a 4 month window when the weather's decent um by god you're going to get out there and 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 make the most of it um you know i was i was i was i was on a radio uh uh program out of southern oregon that broadcasts in northern california we were talking about this and and the uh uh the host was talking about you know um well gosh you know weather must be kind of a a deterrent to to bicycling and we said, look, you know, if, if weather was what made people ride or not ride, Los Angeles would be the bicycling capital of the universe yeah. because it's got such terrific weather. So, and, you know.
3: and it's basically, except for a couple of great hills here, it's it's pretty much flat. Yeah.
1: It's this has been a, a terrific place for me to explore on a bike. I've I've this is the second trip I've made down here with my bike, and um, I I just love being out on the street. Um, learning the neighborhoods, learning my way around. I mean, I'd, I've been visiting LA for 30 years, but i but I but it's feeling coherent to me in a way that it hasn't before because I'm actually out there on the street, kind of learning how everything's connected, and I'm seeing it at a human pace. I'm you know my experiences of LA previously were always in a car, and um, you know I uh, you you can't get much when you're you know, when you're flying past something. At fifty miles an hour, or you are stuck in traffic and kind of stressed out over all of that. But when you can uh, just get out and explore it at your own pace, it really uh, it, it really makes a difference. We were talking about the, this last night with uh, Joe Linton. He was pointing yeah. out to me that that you know he he talks to people who say you know there is certain times a day they would never drive to the West Side because it would just take them way too long. And Joe said, you know, it takes me the same amount of time. You know, regardless of the hour of the day, because on a bicycle, you're not impacted by gridlock the way that you are on a car. So you're, you know, my sense of distances and the time it takes me to get from one place to the other are very different on a bicycle than they would be on a car.
0: What kind of, sorry, what kind of bike? Are you riding right now? I have a
1: out? I have an old steel frame uh, Peugeot mountain bike from <laughs> the early '80s that I've uh, kind of refitted for
3: uh, for city riding and. Uh, and how did you refit that? Tell us a little bit about some of the the uh, the different things you've done. Different tires, I would assume. I,
1: I put different. Really, the only difference would be uh, 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 a narrower. Um, somewhat smoother tire because mountain bike tires of course are big and chunky and slow you down um, so that smoothed out the ride quite a bit um, I changed out uh, the saddle and the uh, the bars um, and uh, that's really really it and I'm and uh, so it's kind of like my pickup truck and uh, it's a nice heavy bike but uh, very smooth to ride and and, and I'm, I'm just really falling in love with old steel frame uh,
3: well, the reason I bring this up is there's there's going to be some rides before this so people can actually experience Los Angeles, uh, some of the conference, right?
1: There is, yeah. There's a ride coming up at 11 o'clock that starts uh, downtown in, in Little Tokyo at the Kyoto Grand Hotel where we're holding two days of the session. And it'll be um, about a 10-mile loop um, kind of up through this area, um, up through Echo Park and, and, and I think Silver Lake and then up. To part of the LA River Trail, if I'm not mistaken. So, um, it's a the LA C B C is going to be showing off some of of the facilities that they've been involved with helping to implement. So, pass through the the uh, separated bike path along uh, MacArthur Park and uh, a few other places like that. They'll stop up in the in the bike district and. Check out the bike kitchen and uh, hang out there a little bit, and and just give you know give people a sense of what's happening in LA. I hope a lot of people are able to make that ride today because it'll be a great opportunity. Terrific weather. Yeah.
0: Um, you know, you already missed it.
1: I know, I already missed okay, it. because yeah. you said coming up. I just wanted yeah. you to know. Yeah. No, I no,
3: I figured I wasn't gonna be able to make it today.
0: Uh, well, that's a big sacrifice, but well, you can. We'll,
3: we'll take him on a on a separate personal <laughs> kind of ex- sweet. You know. You know. Uh, just VIP, VIP right the VIP yeah.
1: right <laughs> the luxury edition so. yeah.
0: we'll give you a coconut water excellent yeah. um I, I just one of the things we talked about before you came was uh that you can have bike advocates and city people in the same room yeah and how city people tend to not be able to innovate and but they need to 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 meet the innovators and um, do you want to talk about that?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, you know, there are lots of, uh, lots of uh, public officials and public employees who are really interested in, um, in uh, bike facilities and accommodating more people on bikes. But, you know, going back to our discussion earlier about standards for things like bike facilities, um, they may be, um, find themselves very limited by what they're able to do. Um, or politically, for example, they might work be working within a city structure that isn't terribly supportive of their um, their aspiration to get more people on bikes, and so uh, a relationship with the advocacy community can be a way to to support them in their aspiration to see this happen. You know, I get a lot of great information talking to uh, city transportation people about. Um, uh some of the the some of the the problems with standards you know wouldn't it be great if we could do x you know they have a very intimate understanding of how streets work and how they're built and how they're engineered and designed um, and they know where the limitations are and so um you know a a good strong dialogue between the people who are actually responsible for implementing this stuff. And those who are advocating for it is a really is a really valuable beneficial thing you know it 's not it's not it, it, it's not a, it doesn't have a, have to be adversarial at all it 's not oppositional you know um, if 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 you're the city official who can make something happen and I have a good idea and you 're receptive to my good idea then we 're going to have a productive dialogue, and you 're going to learn and i 'm going i 'm going to be able to contribute and um, so I think it's really great for advocates to be hearing from public officials about the the systems that they 're working within you know because they 've got to work within limited budgets they 've got to work within a really complicated set of priorities um, they might have liability concerns that might not be on the radar of a bike advocate you know mm-hmm. um and so um, it uh it, both sides are improved you know by being able to talk to one another about that stuff
0: so can you help us uh like with our shows like programming and send us uh guests
1: absolutely yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely right. i would love to i'd love to um um to uh uh See, see you, you be, be the resource that you are. I mean, mm-hmm. um, you know, what a great thing that you're, you're interested in this. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm getting to know, uh, a couple of folks doing what you're doing in other parts of the state, and it's been really terrific to mm-hmm. know that, that you're out there. And I, I love that it's, it's, uh, it's a grassroots effort that's, that's reaching, um, reaching folks who, who might not necessarily be, um, uh, as uh, as responsive to to mainstream media, a lot of mainstream media kind of doesn't know what to do with this mm-hmm. subject. You know, they might be interested, starting to get a lot of interest, but uh, they don't know what to do with it. And you guys obviously have a have a deep you know love for this and an interest in it and and a knowledge of it. So it's it's a you're a terrific resource.
3: I, I noticed I noticed on your on your web page or your uh, your invitation out to people there were other items that were along the the. The right side of it that had to do with uh, things within the government or the media that that had been sort of cited, like uh, uh, the government's looking at that this might be a way to solve some of the economy or, or, or something, and and how how many billions were saved. And then there were other issues there. And I'm I'm wondering, when, when you consciously are looking at something like a solution out of this, what what do you what do you hope comes out of this conference or or this besides networking and, and such?
1: Oh yeah, I mean this isn't just about you know like-minded people meeting each other and talking um you know we want to we want to try to identify some priorities that the CBC can pursue in the next in the next year or so you know we would like to be thinking one to 5 years out in terms of of what we can accomplish and um and so uh what we'll learn from our colleagues at the local level um, over this next couple of days is what their needs are and how those needs relate to what happens in Sacramento. Um, so that's a big part of it. We're, it's like we're trying, trying to create the conditions uh, for more innovation, more, um, more momentum towards getting more people on bicycles we 're looking at all the ways that we can do that you know April called earlier about bike tourism that's a that 's a constituency of the bicycle movement you know not one that we think about very often but it 's a really important one um, you know a lot of a lot of tourists to San Francisco for example, are uh, european tourists who don 't Come On cars, you know, and they come from cultures that are very accustomed to bicycles and they rely on bicycles I and mean, that 's just one example of of how tourism can affect what happens in a city um, so that 's just one example of the kinds of uh, uh, kind of issue that that we 'll be discussing um, um, over the next couple of days so we 're really kind of looking to set, the, set an agenda for ourselves. Work, develop a better, uh, clearer working relationship with local advocates um, and um, and really uh, continue to try to unify this movement in California because it's such a diverse population of uh, population, such a diverse variety of bike users, so trying to create some unity among all of them. Well, You're laughing. <laughs> well, I,
3: I, no, I... I, I I, I I like this, but it it seems like uh, every, every time it comes down to this this, uh, and, and I know there's there's benefits if everybody got into the room and talked about this, but sometimes I I look at things where it's just one example that I can give is there was Carmageddon here in Los Angeles. Yeah. The media went crazy. You you would think that somebody was going to drop an atomic bomb in Los Angeles because they're <laughs> blocking a freeway. To do some improvements. My God. It was like, you know, this is what we're going to talk about. The end of the world coming. There's seven signs, you know, no basketball season. They went on and tried to link everything to Carmageddon. And then when it did happen, it it was like a non-event. It was almost like, isn't it great that we're not driving today? Isn't it great that we're getting out of our cars? And I'm, I'm looking at everybody and I go... Dude, that's that's every day for some of us. That's every day for a bike rider. So that's right. When when I laugh about getting everybody in the room, it's like sometimes I get into a room and I have to talk about issues. Like, well, what if we we slowed down Figueroa that I always travel yeah. and and kind of you know sometimes I don't even get on it. I go to the next street over, which is my own solution to the road diet. And you look at these things. I mean, that that's my thing.
0: Sure, I I appreciate that. Cynthia from Santa Monica spoke.
1: Hey Cynthia, this is Jim. Huh? Yeah. Hello.
0: You're on the air.
5: Hi.
1: Hey Cynthia, this is Jim.
5: Hi Jim, how are you?
1: I'm doing great. How are you? Good. Good.
5: Just called to say hi and uh looking forward to the summit.
1: Excellent, excellent. You'll be there then, huh?
5: Of course, yes.
1: Good, good to hear.
5: Yeah, we I, I just I, am I on the air or just talking to you?
1: No, you're on the air. Oh, and I
5: you're
1: talking you're and talking talking about you're talking to me, it. yeah
5: both lovely um, I just wanted to reaffirm what something you were saying earlier about the CDC CBC health um, um, being an umbrella organization uh-huh and as much as you may not be but you I think you I we look at you as being an umbrella source
4: that's
1: a great way to put it yeah. and I think that's you know that's that's a lot of what we're trying to do is to um, is to uh Serve as a as a focus for some of what's going on. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, we we're talking earlier about things like standards. Um, standards, for better or worse, standards are going to come out of Sacramento, and so um, we need to be plugged in with uh, folks like you at the local level, so that when we do work with Caltrans and the legislature on these issues, we're uh, doing it with uh, uh, as much support as we can. Have and uh, with as much knowledge as we as we can bring.
5: Yeah, it was great working with everyone at the the winning uh, campaign summit that we did a few weeks ago, and just seeing that at a local. And the, as you were talking about the people from Mexico City, and we had oh, a no. woman from Oklahoma. It was. It was inspiring then, and I'm just really looking forward to what, was, what is going to happen this weekend as well at the Cal Bike.
0: I agree,
1: and, you know, uh, a crazy part of me wants to see this happen on a national scale. I don't know how we could do that, but uh, we should talk about that this weekend.
5: Well, we have Bikes Belong, and I really am a strong supporter of that, and, and I'd like to see more you know, publicity for Bikes Belong, and, and uh, we always try to get you know, the whole million uh, signatures movement every time we have an event. It's amazing to me how many people don't know about it, and then how many people, you know, people do know about it. But how many people don't still know about it?
1: I know, I know. We got to figure out some some ways to to get everybody better connected. That's a big challenge.
5: Yeah, and that's that's you know what you spoke about the regional chapters of which, of course, Santa Monica spoke is one one of the first, I believe.
4: Uh huh.
5: Um, but LACBC being our umbrella is a fantastic thing in Los Angeles. Just. Bringing together with Alexis, just she gives us so much guidance and so much help that that you do at the at the state level, she does really at and, and the LACBC does at the the city level, and it's been so helpful for us moving forward.
1: Well, I think that's a really good model for for how things can continue to grow. So, for example, in Sacramento, there's the Sacramento Area Bicycle Advocates and they have begun uh, working with some chapter groups out in some of the uh, communities in the east part of our county. Um, you know, the needs are a little bit different out in these communities. It's these right. two particular communities are quite different from each other and different from Sacramento. Um, the sharing of resources and knowledge is is really valuable. Um, you know, one piece of this that we haven't really talked about explicitly is that, uh, LACBC is the fiscal sponsor for all of these regional chapters. So, so for example, it allows you to do fundraising in exactly. a way that can make a big difference. Um, uh, uh, CBC acted as the fiscal sponsor um, early on for the LACBC, and we are currently acting as a fiscal sponsor for an open streets program up in Shasta County. So... Um, these are ways that we can share our resources and uh, maximize the benefit for everybody.
5: Yeah, we don't have to reinvent the wheel every time. If we have somebody we can call, somebody we can email, and get the information on either where they went to find what they're looking for or just something on the ground that worked that we didn't maybe think of.
4: I
1: agree. You know, this is where sh- the the sharing of information this weekend is going to be really valuable because yes. uh, uh, we don't need to reinvent the wheel. We've got a lot of of, of uh, really uh, experienced, knowledgeable people who are more than eager to share what they know, and and uh, so we. You I know, think this is the
5: key. Is that all bike bike advocates, bike it, all of us? We are so willing to share. There isn't this. I'm going to keep this information and make it mine. And I think that's important too. And we're seeing a lot more of that. It's more open, more sharing, and it's just out there to get.
1: Yeah, it's terrific. It's, that's what, that's what makes this so exciting is that there's a really, uh, really strong community feel about what's happening. I love Um, the
5: way you put it. It's a flower. And I think that's so key. It's really the best way to put it I've heard yet.
1: Yeah, it's it's what it feels like. It's a uh, it's uh, it's been really amazing to see.
5: Lovely. Well, I'll look forward to seeing you later. I'll let you get back. And uh, sorry, I haven't called in as much as I should, guys. But I will. I promise. Okay.
1: Thanks, Cynthia. <laughs> I look forward to seeing you this afternoon. See you
5: later. Bye. Bye. Thanks, Cynthia. So there you go. That was uh,
0: Santa Monica spoke. Santa Monica spoke, Cynthia. Yep. Um, one of the seven.
4: Yep.
1: They're doing they're doing great things out there. They're in really, seven. really, interested. You know, they're talking about a project that would would connect Santa Monica with with downtown. You know, looking for a bikeway that would connect all the way in.
0: I am so, so waiting for that.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is this is this is how things start to to connect, and um, and so you know, it's it's starting to happen here, and it's really
3: exciting. Yeah, uh, they they always compare uh, us to to like. Cop- you know, wouldn't it be great to be like Copenhagen or somewhere like that. But everybody forgets that thirty, thirty years ago. Oh, sure, they're comparing us. They have that big film industry in Copenhagen and everything else, and, and the rivers and all. No, I'm just kidding. But <laughs> the but, ocean, yeah, the ocean, beaches, there. yes,
1: beaches yes. of Copenhagen are yes. particularly nice. Yes, exactly.
3: So we're we're looking and seeing that we have some sort of an advantage. But the this this gets back to it that. You know, how long do we have to wait? I mean, we used to have all these things. We used to have, he's saying 2020, but we used to have things like uh, uh, transportation, public transportation. I mean, my dad used to beat it into me that there was a trolley car that could get you from here to there, and I used to say, sure, sure. But like we said before, the bike was here first. <laughs> uh, public transportation was here first. And then we sort of gave it all away to the car, maybe maybe because the car all these things were bought up by the car and stuff yeah,
0: do you, do you, how much do you get into like bike versus car do you ever do you ever well no, you guys are very reasonable people <laughs> but you, but but the do you ever uh, think about the you know is there any value in sort of like thinking of the car as the enemy
1: um you know we we that's a part of the discussion that we hear pretty regularly is a sense of opposition um, I think. The, the struggle I have with that particular framing of the question is that we're all sharing the same set of roadways. And, um, you know, it's important to remember that, that most bicyclists uh, are uh, also drivers or they, um, or they are dependent on uh, motor vehicles in some fashion. You know, if my appendix bursts, I don't want to be taken to the hospital on a bicycle. <laughs> and so.
0: <laughs> well, it might get to your house quicker if, never mind.
1: <laughs> I'm close so. to the hospital. I'm okay. But, but my point is that, is that I, 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 tend, I, mean, yeah, okay. I tend to look more at, um, I tend to look at, at bicycling as one of the technologies we can, uh, rely on. And, and the real question right now is, is whether we're using the right technologies for the right things. Mm-hmm. You know, if you look at the, uh, you know, there's a pretty common statistic that says about 40% of all um, all, all trips in the United States are two miles or less. Right. And that, you know, 95% of those are done by cars. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's a huge proportion of of manageable bike trips that, that are being done by cars. Uh-huh. So... Um, well,
0: with- would that be like the low hanging fruit in this uh, education campaign like to teach, oh, teach people to, to make 2 mile or less trips by Absol- bike absolutely
1: absolutely and 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 you know one of the ways to do it is just to encourage people to check it out you know i have people come to me and say well you know i can't i don't think i can commute to work because of of how far it, it's i'm going to have to go and and how and and all and i don't have the right bike and i'm not really in shape for it and i said that's okay so try it one day a week or try it one way. You know, take, take, your, take your bike on light rail one direction and ride home in the other. Or, uh, or take your kids on a ride around the neighborhood or ride down to the coffee place. I mean, just get on the bike. Um, you know, I look, at, I look at those kinds of things as, as kind of the, the, um, the entry point to learning about uh, what's possible with bicycling. You know, I started out commuting a couple of years ago pretty uh, well on a daily basis. And then uh, in the last year or so, my ambitions are now much greater, and I'm interested in how far I can go. I think the longest trip I've taken so far is 140 miles. Mm-hmm. And now Where I'm thinking about from West Marin County up into uh, Mendocino County. Really nice. It was gorgeous. Nice. It was a fantastic, fantastic ride. And now I'm thinking about I even flirted with the idea of riding one-way, um, either to the summit or back from the summit. And it doesn't fit in with my schedule right now, mm-hmm. but, but that's a trip I really want to do well, is to come down here.
0: Some, somebody said to me once that it's really, when you talk about long-distance biking, it's really just a matter of time. I mean, that's, and some money. You have yeah. to have a little bit of money and you have to have a little bit of time. But other than that, it's that, you know, it's the the physical challenge is not, you know, it, you just break it up into segments and yeah, yeah. Just, just appropriately.
1: There was a beautiful statement in a um, at the end of a series of articles written by a New York Times writer named uh, Bruce Weber, who chronicled his um, cross country trip that he made in the last uh, over the summer. And uh, one of the things he said in the last article about it was he was talking about his relationship to distance and time, and how. He found he could end up struggling with the idea of how far something was or how long it was going to take to get someplace, but in the end, he really valued um, he valued um, just just riding. And and, and to paraphrase, uh, you know, it's something like um, what I learned from this trip was the value of of experiencing the present. Um, and, and, I, and I never want to wish away distance and I never want to wish away time, you know, because those are all part of your present experience. So, I mean, that's kind of a, a, a poetic way of, of talking about what you're saying, which is that distance and time are really your only
3: variables. It's, it's almost like uh, I'm, I'm reminded of Joseph Campbell, and, and he talks about how uh, you, you'd have these uh, journeys and you, you have the... Uh the s- solitude of, of the journey itself yeah. is actually how you shape somebody, uh, how you, how you shape the the hero. Yeah. So his journey becomes more important than actually getting there, or something. The destination at this point.
1: The uh, the the hundred forty mile ride I took was the annual um, Buddhist bicycle pilgrimage, which was oh. under it's undertaken as a as a spiritual practice, mm. and um and it, and it was framed exactly as you're saying. Yeah, it's not about How fast you get there, it's not about, um, uh, how much, uh, uh, what kind of gear you've got, um, and, um, you know, I had a very strong experience of, of, of accomplishment, not in the competitive sense of it or the, uh, kind of the greedy sense of it, It was just the sense of wonder. You know, I, first day was 87 miles and it was, it was, uh, fairly challenging it was a long day on the bike and at the end of it i was you know i was um just amazed that i'd done it and suddenly the sense of possibility became much much greater you know and i think that's this could happen for anybody who gets on a bike you know you can ride around your neighborhood once and say well that wasn't hard at all like you know now maybe i could try riding twice as far um, and, and suddenly the possibilities start to show up, and that's the transformation that can happen for people who haven't experienced bicycling before or haven't experienced it in a long time. So anything uh, that gets people out there um, introduces them to this idea. That's, that's the beauty of Ciclovia is that you've got people who, were, um, uh, who might not normally get on their bikes who suddenly feel free to do it, and their world changes. Joe Linton was telling me about this this story um uh, a guy got separated from his 7-year-old daughter on the route and you know is immediately really concerned right, talks ahead. to the organizers the police everybody's looking for this little girl and they figure she's going to be kind of in the East Hollywood area cuz that's where the guy lost track of her um they found her an hour away an hour later seven miles away at the other end of the route and she had just been riding along having this terrific time like not scared not worried um you know in her seven-year-old world just riding along and like like for her it was totally possible to go just as far as she needed to go you know you know i mean it's a scary story that you could you know that a kid could get that far away from you that quickly but on the other hand it also illustrates just the Kind of the wonder that you can experience when you just get out there and
0: do it. well, I think you have an instinct for, you know, when to get poetic because right? it's the end of the show exactly.
1: <laughs> you bring it out on me.
0: Thanks. The show. Um, I think two hours is a good. People have often wondered if two hours was a good amount of time for, for a show like this. I think You'll, it was you'll find good.
1: out. <laughs> <laughs> Don't ever do that again. <laughs>
3: We've been talking with with uh, Jim from. go ahead. Oh, this is Jim
0: Brown from the California Bicycle Coalition. Uh, he's the communications director, and he's put together the the bike summit, California Bike Summit, this weekend. And um, I think it'll be great.
1: Yeah, looking forward to it. Are you going to be able to join us?
0: Um, you know what? Uh, I'm going to come for some of it. Good. I'm I'm going to. Uh, Chicken Leather might uh, stand in for some of it. Good. Um, but we're going to, b- and April's going to be there. Yeah. But I can't make the whole thing, but the, between the three of us, we're going to cover it. Excellent,
1: excellent. Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. really glad you're going to be part of it.
0: All right, well, let's do this.
1: Thanks, thanks okay. for having me. I really appreciate this. Okay, thank you very much. Yeah, pleasure meeting you, too. Thank you yeah. so much. Well, thanks. Thank Let me play this.
3: Right <laughs> on. I am